Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am an exercise physiologist. I am a licensed nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach. I run strength field, the powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I ate one eight-inch sub sandwich last night, and I gained like eight pounds. <laughs> Stupid. Nice. Yeah, I nice. got a squat every day. I got my meat coming up, so I was like, I'm going to have some carbs and stuff, and then I'm like eight pounds heavier from one freaking Blew up. It's so. like defies the laws of physics. Yeah. So Nice. Uh, this is uh, John Mike, and uh, I'm a professor in exercise science. I'm a coach, competing strongman. I love food. I love to be outside when it's sunny and warm and 70 degrees, and um I don't, you know, I don't really have any other funny puns this morning. <laughs> That's right fine. Now. It's early. <laughs> I think people know we, we record this stuff, you guys, at like 8 a.m. Central. I know that's not super early, but it's before everybody runs off to the gym and everything else. So sometimes we're struggling. you got to give us that. So, yeah. Hey, good point about outside then. We had an episode years ago about taking the weights outside when you can, like those old Arnold mm-hmm. Schwarzenegger tales of taking the barbells and the a keg of beer or something up into the woods. It, it just sounds fun. I mean, don't <laughs> don't drink and lift people, but I don't know. Okay, um, lots of news coming in, partly from listeners. Um, the first thing I wanted to bring up is: Have you guys heard of these Tonka bars? T A N K A. I think I've heard of them. It's funny. I actually saw a uh, a Tonka truck. Yesterday it was like a F one fifty, but it was like a Tonka. And oh, that's I funny. I don't know if that's I don't, I don't know if that's new or just kind of a coincidence. Or... Oh, well, yeah, this is T A N instead of T O N K A, but oh, it's okay. buffalo meat, right? I, my gym, yeah. yeah, my gym owner Pep. He's like, have you seen these? And he was asking me about the difference between buffalo meat and um, and cow, and, you know, and stuff like that. But um, just in a nutshell, it's they're mixing meat with like dried fruits and nuts. I mean, it's kind of right up our alley. So I, I'm just bringing this up. The bars are a little small, uh, about the size of a, of a granola bar, maybe even a little smaller, but seven protein. There's a gram of fiber in there, um, single digit carbs, pretty low fat. But again, buffalo, this one in my hand, dried cranberries, dried apples, sea salt, uh, you know, some pepper and herbs and stuff like that. Tasty little boogers, and you can also get them in a bag. So I'm always thinking, how can I, like, I want, I know people say don't sit on the couch and just mindlessly munch while you're watching TV or something, but sometimes that can be good if you're trying to gain weight. And I was going to say, I never said that. <laughs> right. <laughs> For the record, not from Phil Stevens. But uh, the idea is instead of getting this in a little portion controlled bar, um, Pep was also saying, look, you can buy like a big bag of it. And now remember, this is buffalo meat. So I don't know. You're probably going to spend 30 bucks on a big bag of this stuff. But it'd be nice just to reach into the bag and just munch on something that you know is more or less on diet, you know. So I don't know. Uh, check it out, people. It's also interesting that it's um, 
It's from a group of uh, Native Americans that are trying to bring back the uh, buffalo herds to the native peoples. It's there's sort of this, you know, philanthropic uh, th- something I can get behind, you know, b- behind it all. So uh, TonkaBar.com. I'm not endorsing them necessarily. I just tried one. It's just kind of news. No nitrites. I like that too. Um, it says no hormones. I don't really care about that one, but all right. Let's see. I. I I had mentioned last week that uh, I teach an online course. I will get back to you guys. I was surprised that the half a dozen people within two days are saying, hey, I'm interested in that. Uh, we have a new registrar at my university, so I, I've been ch- talking to him. i got to talk to the admissions department, so bear with me. I don't want to bore everybody except to say, remember, this is an actual university course. It's not a workshop. So a uh, four-credit-hour university course is going to run you about $1,600. So this Damn. is actual <laughs> college credit, and you, you might have to think about having a high school diploma or a college diploma or your ACT scores handy if you want to do this kind of stuff. I'm not sure. I'm trying to reduce the barrier to entry by talking to admissions, but it's a real college course, so that price tag might have just shut down everybody on my list, <laughs> but, you know, there it is. Uh, next. Just flying through these here. I've had actually had my coffee this morning. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Um, from Karen and from David, uh, both smart cookies, and I owe occasional good ideas to these guys. They're not just one-offs, but um, they sent me some stuff about gut bacteria being in the news. So this is the quick rundown. Everybody, I think, at this point knows that the connection between your mind and your gut and your body is stronger than maybe we thought in decades past. This first one uh, I came through both Karen and David, I believe. Magnetic brain stimulation causes weight loss by making gut bacteria healthier. So um, the link I got was through Science Daily, but again, these guys were talking about it as well. A new study finds that non-invasive electromagnetic brain stimulation. So some of our people who are more science-oriented, they might know about uh, TMS. It's transcranial magnetic stimulation. So it's not like they're poking anything into your brain. It's not invasive, but apparently it affects your gut bacteria composition. Uh, It says this study expands on the researchers' previous findings that transcranial magnetic stimulation reduces food cravings and induces weight loss in obese persons. It's an Italian study. Um, I find their subject pool is odd, though. Three men and 11 women ages 22 to 65 that were obese. So I I don't know how many people think about this, but I would not – I would either do more of a mix of 50-50 men and women or just choose a gender. Like those three men, uh, they're going to make the whole – they're going to skew the results. You know, maybe they – more women. They should have just done it in women this time, but – Anyway, um, they did. They, they put this like wand against your head, and it beams uh, magnetic pulses into parts of your brain, the insula and the prefrontal cortex. They did it three times a week, and then in the control subjects, they just faked it, right? It was like a sham procedure. They looked at their blood sugar, their insulin, norepinephrine, right, which is noradrenaline. Um, after five weeks of treatment, the subjects that got the transcranial magnetic stem lost more than 3% of their body weight and more than 4% of their body fat. Uh, And then they did fecal analyses, right? Biology is messy. So they did fecal analysis, and it said there was increased quantities of several beneficial bacteria species that have anti-inflammatory properties. And we know that inflammation has a link with obesity. So 
amazing stuff. Imagine being able to go to the doctor three times a week or even doing it yourself um, with guidance. And, um, yeah, automatically changing your gut bacteria, in a sense, to reduce hunger and body fat. Wild stuff. Um, if you go, there's another source of this from newatlas.com, and this is by Rich Handy, and he just expands on this a little. He says the process is already approved in the U.S. for treating major depression. Uh, it's also been used for memory boosting uh, and migraines. So it's not entirely new. I actually show videos of magnetic uh, stimulation across the, again, across the skull, transcranial, uh, for you could, if you put it against your motor cortex, for example, you can interfere with movement patterns and stuff like that. It's amazing. It really shows the electrical nature of your brain, I think. Um, let's see. Uh, he says the gut-brain axis is a hot area of research at the moment, with scientists discovering the degree of interaction between brain function and gut bacteria to significantly, uh, it may be significantly more complex and comprehensive than previously thought. So, wild stuff. Not so much nutritional, but the next one is similar. Um, this is from New Atlas as well. Study may explain how artificial sweeteners actually make you gain weight. So we've talked about this before. There's been a lot of speculation in the, in the past about how artificial sweeteners might do this by altering your gut bacteria. Some uh, researchers have said it causes this dysregulation between your pancreas and your brain. For example, you taste something sweet, so your pancreas starts to respond with insulin, but then it's like crying wolf because your blood sugar never goes up. So after a while, your pancreas is like, yeah, I don't trust this sweet nervous system you know, signal. There's really no blood sugar coming because this is all diet pop and whatnot. So I'm not going to do my job, you know, at least not well. Anyway, so this is a new mechanism, again, about stuff like um, you know, the, the picture here is Coke Zero. There's a Pepsi product. It says, uh, a new study could have uncovered one of the biological mechanisms behind this counterintuitive phenomenon, right? You would think that you're, you're having diet pops for diet reasons, not that they would make you fat. Uh, it says, several large-scale studies in the last 30 years have displayed positive correlations between weight gain and artificial sweetener use. Bear with me. And they talk about the different speculation about hunger signals and whatnot that I just touched on. This time, they looked at sucralose specifically. And in the past, when I've looked at gut bacteria studies, uh, it's usually, I think saccharin was the worst, the oldest, you know, the pink stuff. We're, now we're talking about the newer yellow stuff. Um, it says sucralose, such as in Splenda, um, they looked at the effects on stem cells taken from human fat tissue. When the cells were exposed to concentrations of sucralose, that were equivalent to someone drinking four cans of Diet Pop a day, an increased accumulation of fat droplets in the cells was observed, as was a higher expression of genes that are known to be markers of inflammation and fat production. Well, good, right? Because now I'm, I'm thinking I've, I've made a switch away from aspartame and the blue stuff years ago, mostly to Splenda, because it looks like an actual molecule of table sugar. It looks like sucrose except for some little chlorines added. But they took it further, and they did an ex experiment, and they, looked, they took biopsies of abdominal fat from subjects who had consumed low-calorie sweeteners and those who did not, and they had increased evidence of uh, glucose transport into the fat cells. In other words, taking in the sugar into the fat cells to eventually store it as fat. So 
I don't know. Uh, I my my calling card at home is half a packet of Splenda next to the coffee pot because I'm always trying to reduce my intake of these things. Um, yeah, I just use like typically like you know creamer or like you know. Yeah, for vanilla or whatever it is. Like, I'm not. A, I'm not a huge fan of just. I mean, I, I like like sugar in the raw is supposedly you know better for you, but I don't. I don't put like a lot of added sugar and stuff. Right. When, when I asked Tony Almada when he was on with Dave Barr, um, sugar or artificial sweeteners, we did like a quick fire, and he very quickly mm. said sugar. You yeah. know, and for any one of these reasons, right? Gut bacteria, hunger signals. Now we're talking about effects directly on fat cells that you don't want. Uh, I pulled a press release from the Endocrine Society. Uh, the contact person there is Aaron Lore, but in here they say Orlando uh, press release: low-calorie artificial sweeteners appear to play havoc with the body's metabolism. Large consumption of these sugar substitutes could promote fat accumulation, especially in people who are already obese. Many health-conscious individuals like to consume low-calorie sweeteners as an alternative to sugar. However, there's increasing scientific evidence that these sweeteners promote metabolic dysfunction, says Sabe Yasachi, MD, uh, associate professor of medicine at George Washington University. Uh, wow. So I, another reason, I guess, to try to just back away from wanting things that are sickly sweet. Last one. Yeah. This is from the Institute of Food Technologists. It's about ginger. If anybody's interested, uh, I don't think it's news to anybody that ginger can have calming effects on your gut. Uh, in fact, our, our own family doctor, he actually pushes ginger ale, right, in order to help with tummy problems. So it says ginger, a gut health superfood. A study published in the Journal of Food Science suggests that ginger extract may be developed as a functional food for the maintenance of gastrointestinal health. While it has been hypothesized that the beneficial effects of ginger on the GI tract are due to the powerful compounds that it contains, there is insufficient information regarding the precise mechanisms of action. So they did a study and they looked at these extracts. Let's see, six gingerol and six shojaol or shojaol, S-H-O-G-A-O-L. So these are the two extracts in ginger. They looked at colon cells, the epithelial lining of your large bowel, right, large intestine. Um... Yep, and they, after they tried to irritate the colon cells with different things, they found uh, anti-inflammatory effects, decreased inflammatory cytokine levels because of the 6-gingerol and the 6-shojaol. Um, also, less NO production in the gut. And again, you don't always want lots of blood flow, right? That could lead to inflammation. So we're not talking about muscle tissue here. We're talking about irritated gut cells. And less expression of um, cyclooxygenase 2. So that's an enzyme that causes inflammation to form. So they suggest we need human clinical trials on some of these compounds in ginger. Pretty cool. <clears throat> All right, that's my spiel uh, for the week. Thanks, especially, like I said, to Karen and David uh, for the tips on this stuff. There's an endocrine society meeting going on, and I think that's where some of this is, is coming from. So. Do you guys have any news or anything before we uh, we do our topic of the day? Yeah, I got one. I mean, yeah. we should oh, do yeah. that. Give a shout out to uh, CJ Cummings, if you guys don't know who that is. Uh, youth lifter for Team USA. Uh, went to Youth Worlds and broke yet another Youth World record in Olympic weightlifting. Ooh. 185 kilo at 16 years old. Oh, 407 pound cleaner. Wow. <clears throat> Crazy. 
Yeah. So, I don't know. We'll see. America might be able to compete in the coming years. <laughs> right, right. Get the youngins involved. Yeah, well, that's what it's going to take. And people have been saying it for years. And, you know, it's we got to get the kids coming in at 12 and 13 and 14. And, you know, sadly, Team USA has had a, a very closed-sided view of next games, next games, instead of looking 8, 12 years out. And that's what it's going to take. You know, right. I mean, you got to think he's at least at the earliest, I guess, next Olympics, but he's been, you know, beating records for several years now. So you know, he'll be 1920 at the next Olympics, which is that's what we need. I yeah. Mean, yeah. You know, so. I had an interesting conversation with a, a friend of mine, another professor, about how other countries recruit and we don't. Um, he, now, he was talking about soccer, but in, in a sense, it's similar. He was saying here. We sort of just go for the biggest, strongest, fastest-looking kids instead of the ones with the potential, like that might have a natural skill for it, you know, yes. or uh, the mental side of it, the behavioral yeah. side. And he was saying in soccer, that's he he was think, thinking we'll never win the World Cup in soccer because we just don't recruit at a young age for for the right reasons, right? Yes. So we're looking at the skill they have today, not their potential for later. Yeah. Yep, including the mental side, right? I mean, what if someone's like yeah, a piano sure. virtuoso prodigy? You're not going to choose him because he has the biggest hands necessarily. You're going to choose him because he just has this natural propensity to be awesome, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool, though. Very cool. John, did you have something, my man? Um, I think um, – I don't know if I mentioned this recently or not, but there was actually the first um, study that came out um, uh, this past – like in March um, – uh, of the use of the slingshot, and it was actually a slingshot that was, uh, you know, created by you know Mark Bell, and mm -hmm. uh, of course they actually found, I mean, which is you know pretty pretty standard. There's actually more tricep involvement than there was, you know, pure chest. So you know, those of you are not maybe not familiar with the slingshot, it's really just kind of a um, an apparatus you kind of put through and up your arms, um, and to actually help with tricep. Um, overload strength at the mid range at the top and the lockout. So um, I'm, I'm and the reason I mentioned that is because I'm glad to see. Um, some kind of these non-traditional strength training, um, you know, equipment and, and, and um, you know, and exercises used. Because really, if you think about it, I mean, there's really, it's like there's so many things that, that we know and we have used throughout our careers and, you know, through lifting that we know that work. But, you know, science doesn't always run in parallel, you know, with those types of things. So it's nice to see, it's nice to see those things kind of really coming about now. And the same thing about, uh, like uh, there was a study that came out about the use of fat grips, but it was actually used with collegiate golfers to increase like bat swing and velocity. And um, so it's just nice to see these things kind of um, really kind of making themselves out um, headway in, in, into the science and, and more, you know, application. So you feel like it, it was validating it, basically, the product, the science um, was backing it up or? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's just validation and, and um, you know, and sometimes um, the methodology of these studies, as you know, Lonnie, sometimes the methodology, it, it doesn't always maybe run similarly to what you do like in training because you have to have more control, um, you know, in, in, in studies. But it's just, it's just nice to see, you know, just, just these different things that are that are being used to kind of spark more, you know, ideas and, you know, things of that nature. Yeah, so which is part of the part of the stuff that I kind of want to do, too, you know, with with other studies. I can't remember if we ever had Mark on talking about the slingshot. Um 
what is, would it be for people who have problems in the bottom of the movement then? Is it a sticking point, uh, something to help well, you overcome that? I can't remember. Yeah, it's basically, I mean, it's almost very similar to, it's not, obviously it's not the same thing, but it's really similar to just kind of a, like a single ply, like bench shirt. Only it's just imagine like um, you, you put your arms like through sleeves and when you sit down with a bench, um, you actually somehow have to somewhat have to physically pull the bar down. And as you pull the bar down, the slingshot actually stretches out. And then once you're at the bottom, then it helps you with the rebound effect mm-hmm. coming from mid range and then to lockout. So, um, you know, so, for example, I mean, if someone in just if someone gets like, you know, 135 for five reps, they can put on a slingshot and get potentially, you know, double the amount of reps. Um, so you can, you know, have tricep overload. You can increase, you know, volume. You could do it kind of towards the end, end of the workout for like burnouts or like finishers. So there, there's there's a lot of applications that you can use with it aside for just, you know, max strength. Even you know, shoulder injuries. Yeah. Yeah. And shoulders, too. Oh, shoulder injuries. OK. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I honestly, and you guys would know more about this than than I, uh, uh, Phil, probably you the most, but is there something to be said for simply showing your nervous system what a heavier weight is like? Just, you know, even though you've got gear with you, like a walkout, you know, some people do walkouts. Oh, with I, a heavy so. weight. I mean, mm-hmm. that, yeah, one of the biggest things I did coming back just recently to come back and do this meet, like I hadn't touched anything over 405 in a squat in almost two years uh-huh so i started doing 700 pound walkouts yeah you know just to get used because i mean hell i squatted six and it was like the hardest part of squatting six coming back on day one was holy crap it feels like a house on my back yeah you know? uh-huh. and if you can make it if you can walk a weight out or hold a weight and it's not mentally daunting there's a there's a much better chance you're going to make the lift mm-hmm. so and this would probably yeah, help with that you said for Right. This, yeah. You would think a slingshot would help because you could. I mean, you could like unrack 405 if you've never done that before with a little more confidence because you've got some support, right? Yeah, as long as your triceps are strong enough. Okay. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to be careful with that. I'm sure. I mean, walkouts yeah. with super maximal loads. I imagine there's some risk there. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Or, or even unracking in this case. Yeah. But cool. Yeah. All right, folks. We that's it for the news. We're going to come back and we're going to discuss what we've gained and lost from muscle sports. Uh, we'll go to break and we'll be right back. Hey, listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead. All that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, There is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated Uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit royalty on the book. 
But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everyone, we're back. It's uh, Coach Stevens, it's Dr. John Mike, and it's me, Lonnie, and we are going to talk about um, what we've gained and lost in, in muscle sports, strength sports. Phil, let's start with you because, uh, you know, I joke like you're like a gnarled old oak tree. Um, <laughs> what have you – let's start with what you've, what you've gained, like, over the years. What has powerlifting or uh, even the other things that you've done – with like the the Highland Games and stuff, what has it brought you? Honestly, my whole life right now has is, is pretty much in thanks to strength sports. I mean, everything I do. I mean, that's how I met my wife. That's how I. Oh. <laughs> uh, you know, all the business I do. Ninety um, percent of my life goes back to my participation in strength sports. The people I've met doing it. Um, aside from the. 70 pounds I've gained. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I can't, I can't underestimate just what all strength sports has given me. I mean, it's, it's my life as I see it today is, is in large part thanks to my involvement in strength sports. So that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought about your wife, uh, uh, you know, yeah. being I mean, due to strength sports. Yeah. You know. <laughs> So. That's what, because you know, I met Kelly, and she's, in some ways, she's had to tolerate. I mean, imagine all the things that a spouse has to put up with, you know, mm. especially in bodybuilding. You know, when it comes to like the the dieting and the, I mean, painting me up in the bathtub, you know, with fake tan before <laughs> a con contest, just some of the bizarre stuff. So it was it wasn't because of that. It was maybe I'm with her in spite <laughs> of it all. Uh, how about you though, John? What would you? What would you say that you've gained uh, from strength sports? Uh, you know, it's a lot of things. I mean, kind of. I mean, similar to 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 Phil's response. I mean, besides strength and size and all that. I mean, from from a psychological perspective, you also gain just just toughness, just mental toughness and physical toughness, and seeing how far that like you can really push yourself and. Um, you know, and, and if you can do that physically, it, it usually spills over to other aspects of life and um, having, you know, like more patience. And I think, you know, pretty much all the things that I've done, like in my career in terms of, um, 
the coaching, the hands-on, the science, the research, being able to teach. I mean, you know, even, you know, stuff with, with, with doing stuff with this show for the last several years and, and other things that I've done and, and conferences and, um, you know, our, our articles, it, it, it all typically goes back to, um, you know, your your willingness and your um, it's like kind of like in your blood. It's just your ability to just be under the bar, you know, like your experience underneath the bar. And, um, you know, and it's just, you know, so those are obviously there, you know, there's good things. I mean, kind of. um you know, other sacrifices. I mean, um, you have to take up a lot of space, um, you know, and especially like, you know, traveling in airplanes. I mean, you know, it's not like everybody wants to sit next to you. Um, you know, <laughs> so, right, yeah. you know, it's, it's just um, not being able to, you know, do the things that normal, regular looking people may be able to do. I mean, it's, um, you know, you may not be able to, ride certain rides at a theme park you know just just stuff like that just stuff that you may not i mean obviously i i can actually believe it or not i can actually fit on most rides um at amusement parks and some of them i just can't because they're not built for you know people that are almost six four and like 300 pounds um so you know just things things of that nature but it usually comes back to just you know experience um under the bar and and contests I, i will tell you that one of the things that um, that that happens. I think all of us can certainly attest to is um, your ability to really recover and get back um, from injury um, and being very aggressive with the recovery process. And because I mean, it's like once you start competing and you know, and once you start to get you know strong and, and make progress, I mean, sometimes injuries just happen and you're not even like in the gym even doing anything. Um, so it's like there's a lot of there's a lot of different setbacks and it can be very frustrating and. Um, I'd say one of the, one of the biggest drawbacks, um, probably for all of us, is the amount of money that you spend on food, um, which is just ridiculous. <laughs> right. No. Right. So. Well, okay. So that's pros and cons. Phil, yeah. what about the con side for you? What what price have you paid, if any? <sighs> yeah, I mean a lot. I mean physically. I mean, I I still say people ask me about my hip, and that's still, I don't blame that on lifting at all. You know, that all stems back to my injury as a child. Mm-hmm. Now, did it aspirate that and speed that up? Probably. But, I mean, if you look at my right hip, the one that wasn't injured, it's fine. So, it, you know, it's just the left hip. But, I mean, my knees are gone. Both biceps have been repaired. I got a bad shoulder. I have, you know, uh, I'm sure I have micro trauma everywhere. Sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there's tightness. There's There's this and that. But, I mean that's that's the price i chose to pay uh you know i can't i can't run you know i can but i'm not supposed to there's th- things no, like that you yeah know? me like, either okay, I, no, yeah uh, i sometimes yeah i'll get challenged by some of the guys at school that i work with you know because exercise phys profs stay pretty functional you know you're like oh look yeah. at the look at the 40 somethings and 50 somethings go out and try to sprint you know but um i i'm pretty convinced that i would blow by those guys but i would almost certainly ruin what's left of my left knee if i did that yeah you know yeah so exactly like, <laughs> it, you, you choose your fights and that's what i talk about like the young kids in the gym now you know they're at that age where they're still coming up and it's like i can i'm 40 now and i've been to a lot of meets and i've been through a lot of things and it's like i still have as much fight as you do i just can't do it as often Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's really what it is. You, you know? know, Phil, I once I might have mentioned this in in uh, months or years past on the podcast, but we had a strength coach 
come. He was a guest lecturer in my strength conditioning course, uh, and at one point he looked at the kids. De- he just went deadpan serious. He looked at him. He said, "Don't discount the middle aged guys. They'll kick your ass." Yeah. <laughs> and everybody just oh, stood yeah, there, I know, I you know, know, and like looked at him. And I thought it was funny because that's long been my mantra right now. Like, for example, I think a lot of the guys that I know, like the 50-something-year-old lifters, if they were ever mugged, I pity the poor bastard who tries to do that, you know. But (laughs) now, but at the same time, um, it's like a dragster that has an engine blowout every time, you know. (laughs) Like, the performance would be ridiculous. The strength and the speed would be something to watch. But then they'd get hurt for sure, you know. Um, But at that point... um, you still win. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Exactly. You know. I, yeah, but I and, and also too, it's like you gotta kind of have to keep in mind. Not do it just like you said, Phil. You may not do it as often, you know. But when you do, like you you do, uh, yeah. you know. It's it's like it's, you're not messing around. And I mean, I think one of the things like for me, especially like over the last year, is I've been doing a lot more like work capacity stuff. Especially, I'm not gonna say longer warm ups, but just um, you know, sm- um, smarter warm ups and recovery and doing more. You know, higher rep things with with the warm ups, and then once I get to the big sets, it's like everything is just easy and it just flows. Um, you know, so especially like with upper body, you know, triceps, especially like shoulders, and um, you know, but like when I was younger, it's like okay, you just grab the bar with the first set, and then you just throw on like one one thirty five or one eighty five, and you're just ready to go. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so you have to be a little bit more, you know, methodical. Things change, you know, as, as you get older. Um, that's one thing I was talking about yesterday. It's 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 just that, and I think it's a big mistake that a lot of strength coaches make is they they look at what they're doing and they want their athletes to do that, and their mm-hmm. athletes are twenty years behind them. And it's like for me, I've got kids doing anywhere from four to six <clears throat> days of training, fairly hard. Me, on the other hand, I get one to two hard days a week of what I'd consider yeah. training. Yep. You know, yep. I do other stuff during the week, but it's like that's all I need and that's all I can handle. You know. And it's like one day is really hard. I got one day where I do all my heavy squats, all my heavy pulls, and then I recover for a whole week. Um, right. And that, that's what I need at this point, you know. Yeah. So. No, I um, get it. Yeah. I, for sure. I guess for myself, it echoes what you guys have said. I mean, aside from the 50 pounds of muscle mass that I probably carry that I wouldn't have otherwise. I mean, I graduated high school. I'm not a big person. Like, you guys are bigger framed people people than I am, right? I graduated high school at 155, you know? Wow. And but then through college and grad school at 175, 200, 225, you know, mm-hmm. I just kept growing and I'm like this yeah. is this is good. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you said that Lonnie because yesterday um in my one of my classes we were talking about like resistance training adaptations and you know, people and and science can talk about and I, I like talking about the science, but I like talking about, you know, practical real life stuff, you know, as well. You know, people kind of sometimes get hung up on these like these metabolic set points to where your body is genetically or predetermined to be somewhere in like a range of, you know, say 200 to 215 pounds. And you're never going to be over 215 or you're never going to be below like 190. And I mean, but just like you said, like when I started college, I was 205. Right. Yeah, I'm, wow. I'm 290. I'm 290 now. Yeah. You know, so it's just but that was that was built over, you know, like, you know, 18 plus, you know, 18 years. That's um, right. You know, yeah. it didn't it didn't certainly didn't happen like in, in five weeks. No, for sure. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And you know what, too, uh, like you, John, uh, my education, so much 
it has sort of harkens back to 1983 when my sister bought me a uh, for a joke a copy of Flex magazine with Samir Banut on the cover winning the Mr. Olympia. She did it like, like a joke because I was I was already admittedly in my bedroom with the cement and plastic weights, you know, benching off the floor. I didn't even have a bench, you know. It was I had my boom box, you know. <laughs> You know, blasting cool. Billy Idol and, you know, lifting. And so she did it like a joke. And it's always been like the joke in my family. that Oh, Lonnie's vain because of the of the bodybuilding fascination, you know. But to me, it was that that motivation was so it was empowering that you could almost literally become like a superhero in the comic books. Like you're bigger and stronger and you look radically different than everybody else. And that led yeah. to my education. I started reading those articles and. There were some fun little nuggets of truth in those nutrition articles back in the Weeder pubs, you know, back in the 80s and 90s and, and whatnot. But, yeah, so much of my education, the passion to keep doing it. And now a lot of what I do is pretty tangential, you know, the, the pure science stuff. Like when I spend a whole weekend in a lab pipetting, you know, running ELISA kits and looking at norepinephrine production, you know, and, and stuff like that, that doesn't seem directly related to the bodybuilding, but it's because – of the bodybuilding that I'm so fascinated by all that stuff all these years later. And you know what? Now as something, someone in my late 40s, it's a way for me to stay involved, like the podcast here, I guess, and pass on some new knowledge and information and stuff like that because, you know, like I said, it's kind of disappointing, but my joints just won't have it anymore. Like Phil, I'm, I'm sure that the weights have contributed to a certain amount of musculoskeletal problems. You know, now partly that's a predisposition. My mom has pretty severe osteoarthritis, and I've exacerbated that, I think. Um, and in some ways, I may stay more functional because of it, too. But I've done very little soft tissue maintenance over the years. I guess if I have a regret, that might be one of them. I mean, flexibility training, sure. But I've never done anything like get deep tissue massages or all the kinds of stuff that a massotherapist would say, oh, my God, Lonnie, you just must be a ball of scar tissue. They're probably right. I probably am. Uh, and I think there's also the price I paid is some of the – maybe it's like even there's a metabolic or hormonal thing. I mean a lifetime of very serious, very strict dieting you know, and hard training and that kind of stuff and all the supplements, some of them hormonal in nature and all the different things that I, I've exposed myself to because of bodybuilding competition. Some of that stuff is pretty fringe, and I think I've got some lingering – lingering weirdness from that. I don't, I don't think my, um, you know, hormonal state and my metabolism is the same as it would have been had I taken up running or, uh, yeah, I'm sure. No, you know, I mean, it's just a kind of just daily calorie expenditure. I'm sure is higher, but I mean, it's also to be said, I mean, as the years go on, I'm not as lean as I once was and I just won't be. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm a little older. I mean, I wouldn't say I got the dad bod or whatever they say. You know, I'm a lot bigger than that. But I mean, I'm not gonna. You know, things change, and yeah. it's, I don't need to be that lean. You know, and I, I just won't be. No. It's not worth the fight. So you you make the adjustments. You know. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, it's true, and I know you guys know when I'm about to say this, sort of acknowledge this, but you can look at someone who's a a veteran lifter. You know, he's not as tight and taut and full, maybe, you know, like on the bodybuilding side. But they, they've got this extra muscle mass. It just hangs a little differently, if that makes any sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's that classic, you know, uh, former competitive lifter look, I think, that yeah. guys have, you know. Um, it's just interesting to see. I mean, like we talked about, I mean, it's 
and I didn't know it was going to happen either, but it's like when my mind, even I think even the mental aspect of it, being competing for 25 years, my drive to do it on a daily in training is much different. Yeah. Yes. Oh, no, agree. Like yeah, I'm going to kill things, and now it's like, eh, I'm going to go squad 500 for some. You know, yeah. and you just don't get as worked up. But but it's those days that 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 fire is still there. It's just those days are less. And it's like, okay, four times a year or whatever it is, it's yeah. like <clears throat> still get to that point, and you can really turn it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it changes like weekly or monthly and just like yearly, like, you know, your psychological aspect of it, you know, changes. It's like um, two and a half, three weeks ago, like I did some strongman events like for the first time and like, you know, for, I don't know, since like last fall. And I mean, I hadn't done any Atlas Stones in about a year. And then here I am. I mean, I'm still throwing up like 330, you know, stones on a 55 inch, you know, platform. And 220 keg lows on you know 45 you know 50 inch platform and so i mean do i do that all the time every weekend you know no i mean do i do i train to get stronger in those you know yes so it's it's just like i mean if i hadn't been doing any of that stuff would i've been able to really get that probably not um so but yeah it's just the psychological aspect you know changes too i mean you're not you're not every day is you're not going to take like pre-workouts and like, you know, banging your head up against the wall and, you know, bleeding yourself. And some, some days it's just like, okay, you know, like, like last week, I mean, I, I didn't really feel like, like lifting cause I knew it wasn't going to be a great training session. So I did some conditioning instead. I did some, like some tactical stuff, you know? So it's just, and then I, and then I was there for about 30 minutes and then, and then I left and then my next training session, the next day or day after was like, was killer. Yeah. It's, that's so, the wisdom, you know, it's the wisdom behind it. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I think a lot of it's just wisdom and knowing that you got nothing to prove. You know, it's like, I don't need to turn it on and walk around like a, a hyped-up rooster every day. Right. I can come <laughs> here and let you squat more than 50 pounds from me while you're beating your head on the wall. But when we turn it on, I'm going to be 50 pounds higher than you. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. When it comes down to it, the day of the meet, just pack the plates on. Let's yeah. Go. You know? Yeah, and you you so, might be on the couch feeling sore for a couple of days more than that guy, but the bottom line is yeah. you win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's all that matters. You know, it's like, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so. you, John, you mentioned the the psycho psychological. I, I should probably add to the psychosocial stuff. I think yeah. on the positive side, sort of along what Phil was saying as well was uh, by competing, and I didn't compete often. I mean, Phil to me competes constantly you know i could barely keep track and maybe a little less frequently than you used to phil but you know it's, to me it's still a lot i would compete every couple of years because you know being hormonally challenged compared to some of the guys i would compete against in these big fairly big regional competitions i would have to go four or five years or more between competitions if i actually wanted to have any real progress you know it's yeah. just the, the time frame of building muscle mass kind of thing but that courage test I think, uh, like you said, it's just not a big deal. You know, once you're in, when you're in the middle of it and you do that every few years for decades, you're, you, you become a little bit more like, I don't know, bring it, you know? And, yeah. and it's also, you yeah, don't want to lose that, you know? Yeah. It's also just like, I mean, for me, like, I mean, it's been over five years since I've, you know, competed. Um, but it, does it mean like, well, I'm never going to compete again? No. I mean, I still have students and stuff. People ask me like, When's my next contest? Um, the the time factor, you know, is is also a big player. And of course, you know, things like professionally. I mean, 
Um, you know, but again, like when I was when I was when I was competing more regularly, it would it would be in the summer, you know, back to back, you know, because I really wouldn't do it much during the regular school year because of work and teaching and all of that. So, um, I mean, it certainly, you know, can be done. Um, it's just, you know, it, it's just hard to really say. I mean, it just takes time to to you know, to, to train and, and, and see where, where you're weak at. But, you know, again, that's, that's why I do it because I'm, I'm, I'm driven to do it. Um, and just, there's just so many like psychosocial factors involved. And, um, it, you know, and I think we all at, at times have gotten these, Oh, you you know, you're just a big meathead. Like you have to use a beach towel to wipe your ass very much type of thing, it, you know, and it's, and it's just, but you don't see the same type of stigma with like endurance athletes. You know, you just don't, it's just, um, you know, um, it's, it's just, it's, uh, I'm not going to say it's a constant battle, but it, it's, it's enough to, for people to really see you and kind of change their perception. It is a cost. Yeah. It's a cost yeah. for doing that. I, I can tell you, and again, I'm not a really big person, you know, but I've been a little bit embarrassed or at least had people attempt to embarrass me in academic settings because of my interest in bodybuilding as, as somehow it's either vain or immature or weird and I'm like, like in my current position, when we were introduced, there were other new faculty and oh, so-and-so, you know, just published an article or had a book. Now I had just published an article and published that book that Phil's on the cover of, right? A big, the big protein book. And um, I was introduced as, yeah, this is, this is Lonnie. He just, you know, he was a finalist in the Mr. Canton. I'm like, really? Like you can't talk about my academic credentials. That's, this is not the time or the place for that. You know, mm-hmm. and so there is a social uh, awkwardness where academics, they don't expect that, you know. Now, there's a lot of people, I'm certainly not alone, breaking that mold, and they're just going to have to wrap their frickin' heads around it, you know, that you can actually be interested in the physicality of it and the mental development. To me, they're two branches of sort of the same thing. They're self-actualization, you know, but there is an awkward social thing sometimes, and, and so, sometimes I almost think that Phil just said, you know, Screw it! I'm just gonna make this my job, and that way, there I don't have to deal with that kind of uh, the stigma. Nobody has a stigma of a gym owner being too big, you know. So, anyway, that's oh, amazing. I got the best job in the world, man. Even when I sit down with like huge clients, you know, we're talking like multimillionaires. It's like we're wearing gym clothes. It's badass. I love it. Yeah, so everybody should be jealous of my life. Yeah, right. I don't, yeah. yeah it's, that's 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 one good thing. It's like, you, know, you get to wear gym gym clothes a lot, but I will Everywhere. tell you that uh, I was in. I mean, the last weekend, like I found I found myself like in a in a um, dress shirt, a tie, and a vest last weekend. You know, I have some new clothes, so it's like I posted a picture on uh, on Instagram about uh, you know, kind of like beyond beyond the gym clothes, right? Because it's just I just don't dress up, uh, you know, a whole lot throughout the year. But you know, but when I do, it's like. You turn it on, right? But you know what? <laughs> At the same time, it's almost, uh, and we're winding down on time here, but I still don't fit into sport coats and dress shirts as well. You know, you ever look at somebody who, yeah. those those clothes are built for skinny dudes, and I'm not even that big anymore. <laughs> but if I put on a tie and a dress shirt or, you know, a sport coat, I don't know. It's... um. It's not quite as stylish looking, maybe. I mean, you've seen the big body. Think about really big guys. They look very awkward in dress clothes, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason that a lot of um, bigger guys, powerlifters, bodybuilders, whatnot, they, they like to wear loose-fitting clothes because the other shit just doesn't fit, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. 
So. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, I mean, all my shirts, I mean, I got 2X, I got some shirts and t-shirts, I got 3X, I mean, this. I bought a couple of, you know, vests last week, I mean, they were 4X, That's I mean, it, it was just because they just run small, like, when I was younger, I mean, you know, it's like, you just kind of, you're like, oh, you're the, you know, you're the shit, and all this other stuff, but, I mean, like, nowadays, the last several years, I mean, I'll wear, like, a, a fitter, a fitting, like, t-shirt, but, I mean, my shorts are, like, real loose, I mean, I don't, I can't go to the gym and wear like tight clothes and like every five seconds you're just you know trying to stretch your shit out you know thinking that you know you're 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 you know some world's strongest man or something. Yeah, my wardrobe uh, in my closet I got to clear out. I have everything. No kidding. And maybe some people can laugh about this, but again, think about like a lifetime of bodybuilding. And sometimes you're much bigger and you're you know you've gained a lot of weight. Sometimes you're much lighter. I've got stuff in my closet from two X all the way down to men's large, right? Mm-hmm. So, and it depends on who I am at the time, <laughs> you know, physique wise. It's just, it's just funny. So, <laughs> all right. All right, fellas. I think that's about it. So, um, yeah, good stuff. Good discussion. And I guess we'll just catch up with everybody next week. Yep. Have a good week. All right. Sounds good. Later. Hey, listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, 
and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.